This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer, and welcome to Keep the Faith, my bi-weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. For us right now, there's no more relevant contemporary issue than preparing ourselves for the task we face during the High Holy Days, because they arrive in just over six weeks. To properly prepare for the task those ten days from Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur impose on us, we need to do what we call Hespon HaNefesh. We need to make an accounting of our souls, meaning we need to take stock of the way we've lived our lives since the end of last Yom Kippur. We need to examine the things we've said and done, or haven't done, and then decide how to do better in the year to come. It's not as easy as it sounds for several reasons, the most important of which is this. As Jews, we don't get to decide right from wrong. The Torah decides that for us. We have to judge ourselves based on it dictates, not on our own perceptions of what's right and what's wrong. The Torah is our official, exclusive, and only proper behavior rulebook. It contains laws about how we may or may not behave towards other people, about how we may or may not behave towards the non-human living creatures, about how we must feed the hungry and clothe the naked and come to the aid of the oppressed. These laws are about how we must not neglect the needs of the stranger, or about how we must protect the environment, and about how we must be just and righteous and honorable in everything we do. All of these things are quite relevant to us in the 21st century. If we're to make a correct and honest accounting of how we live our lives, then we need to know what the Torah says about all these issues and what the Torah means by what it says. To do that, we need what I call a roadmap to repentance in the 21st century. And so the topic for this podcast, and the next two, is the Roadmap to Repentance in the 21st Century, beginning this week with Part 1. Fortunately for us, that roadmap is set out in the next seven weekly Torah readings, all of which are in the book of Deuteronomy, Sefer Devarim. They begin with this Shabbat's reading, which is a very special one because of its content. I'll get to that. For us to do that cheshbon hanefesh, that accounting for our souls, we need to understand what the Torah has to say about what we should and should not do in virtually every aspect of our lives. These next seven readings supply us with that information in an easily accessible form, and, as it happens, quite coincidentally, it does so at precisely the time of year when we need ready access to that information. All of it, of course, is scattered throughout the Torah, but it's in these seven readings that we have a compact, condensed, easily accessible version of the Torah's laws. It's not enough to read this roadmap, though, or to hear it being read to us. We need to dig into its words to find what's really being said, because, as I so often point out, the laws in the Torah, including those in these seven readings, are really chapter headings for whole bodies of law. 
This roadmap is at least 3,500 years old, but it's even more relevant for us today than it ever was in the past. Life today is so much more complicated than ever before. It's no longer so easy to tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong. What once may have appeared as black and white has now turned in heavy shades of gray. The simplest inoffensive appearing actions or words on our part may actually be sins we have to atone for and work at so as not to repeat them. Here are two examples of what I mean. In the first example, someone asks us whether we saw the latest Peanuts comic strip in our local newspaper. We respond, casually and with no malice intended, by saying that we're really much too busy to waste our precious time reading the comics. It's a sin, but we'd never know it if we didn't have a proper behavior rulebook to guide us. In this case, it violates the Torah's laws about bad speech, because what that person heard us say was, quote, you really have nothing better to do with your time than waste it reading the comic strips, unquote. In the second example, we're driving 10 miles over the speed limit, and we're weaving from one lane to another to maintain that speed. In doing so, we're violating at least two total laws, about not wasting precious fuel and putting lives at risk. We wouldn't know that, though, without this roadmap. Over the remainder of this podcast, and God willing, in the next two, we'll not only look at the words that form the laws in this roadmap to repentance, but we'll also dig beneath those words to discover the underlying premise for each of them, because only then can we understand what we need to atone for and change. The first of these seven readings that make up the Torah's roadmap to repentance in the 21st century is this week's portion, Et Hanan. I'm particularly partial to this reading because of its special content. It contains both the so-called Ten Commandments and the Shema, Hero Israel, and because it happens to be my Bar Mitzvah Pasha. This year it comes the day after my Hebrew birthday, just as it did in my Bar Mitzvah year. Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address to the Israelites. In the first reading in Deuteronomy last Shabbat, he set the stage for his review of Israel's laws by reviewing the history of the last 40 years. This week, he begins to review the laws themselves. Moses knows he's about to die, and he had good reason for wanting to do this review in the few days he had left. Israel, after all, existed for one reason only to be God's kingdom of priests and holy nation, tasked with an awesome mission to turn this world into a just, equitable, caring world for everyone and everything God put into it at creation. In other words, the task of repairing the world in all its aspects. Moses needed to make sure the Israelites understood what was required of them to begin to fulfill that mission. Moses also understood, though, that repairing the world is a long, drawn-out process. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a single generation or even in a millennia of generations. It takes one careful step at a time. And the success of each step 
depends on God's kingdom of priests and holy nation doing the things, individually and collectively, that need doing in order to fulfill that mission. So, while Moses was speaking to the Israelites who were standing before him, he was also speaking to all the Israelites who came after that generation, including us. The words he spoke then are the words he speaks to us today. These are words we desperately need to hear and to understand, because our world today is in desperate need of repair. And repairing it continues to be our mission. How we've lived up to that task in the year 5782 is what we need to give serious thought to as we approach the year 5783. Moses begins his review this week with these words, quote, And now, Israel, listen to the laws and to the judgments that I'm teaching you to do. You shall observe and do them because it's your wisdom and your understanding before the eyes of all the other peoples, and that they will hear all these laws and will say, This great nation is a wise and understanding people. And you also shall make these laws known to your children and to your children's children. Unquote. Let's unpack what Moses is saying here. If in our own Jewish world we create a just, equitable, caring society by following these laws, and then we extend that out to the broader world around us, other people will see the benefits of living life that way and will want to emulate us. And because this is a one-step-at-a-time task, we need to pass it, all of it, on through the generations that follow us until the day when the whole world acts in a just, equitable, caring manner. Moses then gets into specifics, and he does so by beginning at the beginning with the foundation document from which all of the Torah's laws flow. That document is known as the Sefer Habrit, the Book of the Covenant, as the Torah calls it. In essence, it's the constitution for God's kingdom of priests and holy nation. And it's found in the book of Exodus, Sefer Shemot, in chapters 21 through 23. God gave Israel that constitution 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai, and it began with a preamble, the so-called Ten Commandments, the document that this week's Torah reading actually incorrectly calls the Ten Declarations, Aseret Advarim. This preamble sets the tone for everything that follows. That's the purpose of a preamble, after all, and the Ten Declarations does precisely that. Before going into the specific laws in the Book of the Covenant and the rest of the Torah, therefore, Moses begins with that preamble. As many of you have heard me say before, this is not a religious document, despite how people perceive it. There's not even one commandment in these so-called Ten Commandments. With apologies to everyone who says otherwise. The Torah refers to it as the Ten Declarations, not the Ten Commandments, because they're not commandments. The Torah later on will provide specific commandments for each of these statements. This preamble begins with four statements that could be seen as being religious in nature, but they're not, as I'm about to explain. These four are not to believe in another God, not to make any graven image, 
not to take God's name in vain, and keep holy the seventh day, meaning Shabbat. The text does not begin by saying, quote, you shall believe in God, unquote. And it doesn't begin that way for a very good reason. A constitution is something everyone has to accept, even an atheist. Saying that we're not to believe in any other God is something even an atheist could accept. An atheist has no intention of believing in any God, period. But an atheist in Israel still needs to follow the laws of Israel. Believe in me or not, the text has God saying. But if you belong to this people Israel, you still need to follow its laws however you think they came about. Clubs have rules. Nations have rules. If you want to belong to that club or that nation, you have to follow its rules. That's all that's being said here. The statement about not making any graven images fits into that. Context here matters. The statement is meant to amplify, quote, you shall have no other gods before me, unquote. In the ancient world, a graven image was considered to be the embodiment of a pagan deity, a no-god, as we would say. So, making a graven image would appear at least as though we were worshipping some pagan no-god. There's more to it than that, though. In our modern world, there are all kinds of graven images we worship in a broad sense, with fame and fortune being high among them. Too many of us devote ourselves to them more than we devote ourselves to our families, or our friends, or our communities, or our world. There also are good luck charms so many people rely on. These don't have to be fully clovers or rabbit's feet. They can be a particular jacket or blouse we always wear at interviews, say, because it's our lucky jacket or blouse. Something good always happens to us when we wear it. There's a great deal of relevance for us today in this graven image statement. Don't take time away from the things that really need doing because we're so focused on whatever our brand of graven image is. Once we get past these opening four statements, morality and ethics take over in much more direct ways. First up is, quote, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, unquote. This isn't a religious commandment, even though people think it is. It's a statement, first of all, not a commandment. And it's letting us know that the laws we're going to get, the actual commandments that will follow this preamble, will prohibit us from cheating anyone, or lying about anyone, and especially warning us against doing so by invoking God's name. It's about not saying, I swear to God, that this car was never in an accident, when it was in an accident. In the ancient world, people really believed that their no-gods would zap them instantly if they invoked their names to defraud someone. Using the name of a god was, and still is to many people, the good housekeeping seal of approval, or a consumer's report specified. This is a statement that sets the stage for laws about how we must deal with people, about how we must not gain an unfair advantage over someone else, about how we must never shade a truth or two in our dealings with others. In preparing that accounting of our souls, we need to ask ourselves, what did we do in the past year along those lines? As for Shabbat, 
This is probably the most important of the ten declarations because of what it actually says. In every sense, it underpins all of the Torah's moral and ethical code. The statement begins by telling us that laws to come will prohibit us from working on Shabbat, which I concede could be seen as imposing a religious obligation, but that's not its objective. Listen carefully to its words as Moses delivered them in this week's Torah portion. Quote, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, and the seventh day is a Shabbat to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, or your maidservant, nor your ox, or your sea donkey, or any animal, and not the stranger who is in your gates, in order that your manservant and your maidservant will rest like you, unquote. In the original version in the book of Exodus, the statement ends differently, quote, For in six days did the Lord create the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them, and the Lord rested on the seventh day, unquote. Keep that in mind for a moment. Whether we work on Shabbat is between us and God, but 3,500 years ago, this statement regarding Shabbat put us and everyone else on notice that at least on one day out of every seven, in other words, for one-seventh of our entire lives, we must acknowledge that no one has any real control over anyone else. On every seventh day, for one-seventh of our entire lives, no matter how much power we think we wield, we must acknowledge that every creature on this planet, human or otherwise, has the same rights as we do, because they were born with those rights just as we were born with them. Rich or poor, master or slave, man or woman, parent or child, human or animal, or bird in the sky, or even creepy crawly things, everyone has an equal right to the same day of rest each week, and no one has the right to take that away from them. As I've said often in the past, this is the ultimate statement of social equality. And it's also the ultimate environmental protection statement for two reasons. The first is that in the original version in Exodus, God deliberately referenced creation. The second is that God later on in the Book of the Covenant gives the land itself a Shabbat of rest one year out of every seven. And God does so by attaching it to the actual Shabbat commandment that appears there. If we're looking for relevance in the modern world, this multifaceted statement about Shabbat has tons of it, as do the Shabbat laws that will flow from this preamble elsewhere in the Torah. It's about how we treat the people around us, the strangers among us, the people in our employ, or those we hire for specific tasks. It's about the respect we should show these people, the proper way for us to talk to them, the care we should show for their well-being. It's about the care we should show for the well-being of all the other life forms on this planet, both animate and inanimate. By extension, it's about the care we should show for the well-being of the planet itself. And this is all just for starters. All of these things are matters of concern where Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are concerned. I'll elaborate on all of this when we get to the actual laws themselves in the next two podcasts. As for the remaining five statements, they're all about behavior. Honoring parents, 
and by extension all those who act as parents in a way, such as our teachers, our religious leaders, our role models, not committing cold-blooded murder, not committing adultery, not stealing from anyone, which also includes not misleading people or plagiarizing something of theirs, not trying to harm anyone by committing perjury, formally or otherwise, not even thinking about wanting what someone else has because that in itself can lead us to do bad things. This is not a religious document. It's a document about how to behave, not how to believe. It's also a preamble to all of the laws that follow. And it doesn't contain a single commandment. Just like the preamble to the U.S. Constitution, this preamble sets the tone for the actual commandments that will follow it. As the opening section of our Roadmap to Repentance for the 21st Century, it also sets the tone for how we must approach our task with preparing for the High Holy Days over the next six and a half weeks. God willing, as I said earlier, we'll examine some of the other laws found in the upcoming readings in Deuteronomy, because taken together, they are the roadmap to repentance in the 21st century. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I do hope you come back for my next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shamai.org. www.shamai.org. And email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish standard but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. The current column deals with the relationships between atoning on Yom Kippur and Election Day 2022. Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy. Keep taking all COVID-19 precautions, including wearing N95 masks in public, no matter who tells you otherwise. Above all, stay healthy.